0: Amen. Come on and praise him one more time. Welcome all of the campuses. We are so glad you guys are here with us. You can be seated. Hey, a couple things before I take you on a little trip. Uh, just a couple of key announcements, though, okay? Really, really important. Don't check out because y'all, oh, they're announcements. Here we go. No, no, these are really, really important announcements. Everybody say, We back. We back. You got to say it with a little attitude now. It's poor grammar, but that's how we've branded the whole thing. We back. We back November one. That is a week from today. We are back. I was making my way around, and I saw children and parents. And you're you're holding children, and you're trying to worship with children. Next week, Hopetown Children's Ministry at all of our campuses. Notice the worship celebration times. They are adjusting a little bit. The first starts the same, but the second celebration starts a little bit early. Earlier, we're going to have First Contact. We're going to have Children's Ministry all kicking off next week, Hillsboro. Hillsboro campus will launch a month later on December 6th and we'll be talking to you more about that as well. The following Tuesday is a big day for our nation. And so we are going to open up our worship centers from nine to five and invite you to come by if you desire to pray for our nation. And so um, it's election day as you know, All of the campuses will be open, nine to five. We'll have some nice kind of subtle worship music playing in there, maybe some candles, and you can just come in and be with God and pray for our nation. Hey, um... I haven't told you this in a while, but you know I love to tell you this. I'm just so honored to uh, be your pastor and serve you and know you and love you. And I'm so so thankful for the way in which, even in the midst of this season, you guys have been exuding generosity. We have been getting out in the streets and making a difference for Christ. Uh, We have been living out our mission. We exist to reach people with the hope of Jesus. Amen? Teach them to follow God's word. Amen? And release world Changers, and we've been doing that big time. And we've been calling this initiative Giving Hope. Let's see what we can do together. Everybody say, Giving Hope. Hope. That's what we've been about. So each month, as a movement, we've been putting out calls to action and we've been getting out into into the community. And we're going to continue that. We're calling it Give and Go. So many of you give to this church, you support this church with your hard-earned finances and you exude generosity as the scripture calls us to. We're we're using those resources to get out into the community to serve people. And you've been hearing me talk about this for a while. From the seats, what? To the streets. And so we're starting to really, really live that out. Let me share with you a few things that we've done. In August, over 75 world changers from every campus packed 10,000 meals with Rise Against Hunger. In addition, our church gave a donation to that ministry so that we can continue to bless the needy. Remember Matthew 25 says, when you've done unto the least of these, what? You've done it. Unto me. In August, check this out, our Garner campus was able to launch a virtual learning center, which has provided safe physical location with a dependable internet, along with loving staff and world changers that assist over 50 families every single day, Monday through Friday, coming in to learn. That's giving hope, church. In September, check this out, New Hope staff served around 100 Durham police officers and support staff. It's a hard day to be a police officer. And we we wanna try to respect them and honor them as the scripture tells us to. Now, don't mishear me. I realize there are some bad ones, but no one wants a bad officer taken off the streets more than a good officer. And so we went out, we served the police officers those days, had an incredible time with them, fed them all lunch and also gave a donation to the Durham Police Department. In October, New Hope made a $2,000 donation to a local mentoring program for children at risk. And also in October, our Sanford campus created Extra Hope Town at Home kits for women and children at Haven of Lee County, an organization committed to providing safety to care victims and survivors of domestic violence. Now there's more up here, but I'm gonna skip it. That's just like the tip of the iceberg of the way in which you through your giving and also you through your serving is allowing us to pivot in the midst of 2020, get out in the community more and be the bride of Christ. Hear me out here. If there's one thing I believe God wants to bring out of 2020, it's to thrust the church out into the community. So even though next Sunday, we back, right, we're coming back, let us not slip into the false illusion that we're just going to come back in and like a bunch of frogs, jump on our church lily pads and sit here. Instead, we're going to keep coming here, amen, but we're going to keep going out there. That is what Reach, Teach, and Release is all about. And so thank you for your generosity. Uh, Thank you for the way in which you support the ministries of this church. If you haven't yet or you desire to, uh, you just simply go to uh, uh, newhopechurch.org and you can forward slash give or you can do the app. Um, We have giving kiosk as well. Or the most popular way people are doing it these days is you just simply text nh movement to 77977. Follow the prompts and become a monthly reoccurring giver with us. Amen. Hey, just a couple of quick things uh, as we get to the word. Uh, two weeks from today, I'm starting a brand new series called Unshakable. It's a study in First Peter, so we're just going to plow through the book of First Peter. Encourage you to go ahead and start reading that. Uh, lastly, um, this month, who knows what October is. I love doing this. I do this. I do this almost every year. And 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 the caveat right off the get go is I'm not I'm not mentioning this for me. Forget me. It's Pastor Appreciation Month, and everybody chuckles. They laugh. They, no, no. Please, I'm good. I'm good. Really, I'm good but we have a lot of pastors at this church. And I always throw all the church staff in there as well. And I know that you at all of our campuses, you know a pastor or a church staff member at New Hope Church that you know have gone, has gone the extra mile and you love them, they love you. Do, do, do a good thing. We only got a little bit left of October. Bless a pastor, not me, bless a pastor or a staff person at New Hope Church in some way, write them a note, give them a card, If you really want to bless them, come on now, put a gift card in the card, you know what I'm saying? And just bless them. Ministry is hard. And I always want to make sure the pastors and the staff of New Hope feel your love. Again, I feel your love all the time. Bless bless another pastor or staff person, if you would, okay? Hey, it's kind of a dreary day in the Carolinas, so it's only cool uh, that I can transport you, if you will, on a trip. What do you say? Let's go to Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and let me take you to a, a historic and profound parcel of land where some amazing things have happened in this country. I'm talking about right in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Welcome to part four of Living in the Age of Rage. Here we go. You know, the truth is, you would be hard-pressed to find a person who loves America more than I do. I was born and raised in the Carolinas my entire life, and I deeply, deeply love this country, which is why I come to this particular sermon series with such a heavy heart such a burden for what we see going on in our country right now. I've lived quite a while now and I don't think I can ever remember a time when our country was so volatile, where people were so antagonistic to one another, where the anger and the rage was just at a feverish pitch in this great country that I love, which is why I'm so grateful that God's word speaks to us in the church about how we are to live in these tumultuous times. Hey, welcome. Welcome to part four of living in the age of rage. I'm so glad you're here to join us. If you will recall, we During week one, we looked at the three R's of anger management. Just by way of review, let me just encourage you, if you have missed any of this series, to go back and catch it on our website, newhopechurch.org, or our YouTube channel. But you'll recall that on that Sunday, I talked about the ways in which the word of the Lord instructs us on how to handle some of the anger that that we've all been experiencing. I mean, 2020, 2020, With the pandemic, with the race relations, with the most contentious political season I can ever recall, isn't it good news that the word of the Lord instructs us to reflect before you react? Remember, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. to restrain your remarks. And three, remember the results, anger, and rage never brings about the righteousness that God desires for you and He desires for me. Week two, I delivered a message titled, The Divided States of America at the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. The big takeaway from that particular Sunday was this. I believe the only hope for the division in our land is for unity to be modeled in the diversity of God's church. You see, I really believe that, church. You gotta understand, that's, that's why Jesus would talk about the city on a hill in the Sermon on the Mount. The church is supposed to be a city on a hill where we show the world what it looks like to not be divided but be unified under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Week three, also in Philadelphia, was separation of church and hate. The key verse from that particular Sunday, which was just last week, was John 13, 35, where the word of the Lord says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You'll also recall that I said this, and this is very important, with just over a week left before the election, you can disagree politically and still love unconditionally. Really important. And today, it is such a joy and an honor to bring you to the historic place known as Lincoln Memorial. This stately monument in Washington, D.C. honors the one and only Abraham Lincoln, the 16th President of the United States. And the virtues of tolerance, honesty, and constancy in the human spirit. Designed by Henry Bacon on a plain similar to that of the Parthenon in Athens, the structure was constructed on reclaimed marshland along the banks of the Potomac River. The cornerstone was set in 1915, and then the completed memorial was dedicated before more than 50,000 people on May 30th, 1922. The Lincoln Memorial includes 36 columns of Colorado marble, one for each state in the Union at the time of Lincoln's death in 1865. Each column stands 44 feet high. The names of the 48 contiguous states are listed above the colonnade, and the dates of their admission to the Union are engraved in Roman numerals. Because Hawaii and Alaska attained statehood several decades after the Lincoln Memorial was finished, their names are actually inscribed on a plaque located on the front steps. The interior features a 19-foot seated statue of Lincoln made of Georgia white marble. It was assembled on the premise from 28 pieces and rests on a pedestal of Tennessee marble. Inscribed on the south wall of the monument is Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. On the north wall, his second inaugural address. The Lincoln Memorial was an important symbol of the American Civil Rights Movement. In fact, as you know, in 1963, on the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, Civil Rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his famous speech, I Have a dream from the steps of this memorial with over 200,000 people receiving the message. Since then, some of the most historic gatherings in America have happened right here with most recently, pastors and leaders from across America in the Church of Jesus Christ gathered to pray for our nation and this upcoming presidential election. You know, can't you feel the tension that just seems to be mounting more and more every week and kind of hovering over this country. Some of you are here today and you're worried, you're angry, you're a little upset about the events that are taking place in our nation. Donkeys and elephants are squaring off and leaving our country polarized and divided. Over two billion dollars have been spent on the campaigns, mostly filled with accusations about the other guy and this party can't do that and that party can't do that. Some of you are here and you feel like there aren't really any good options and so you're angry. Others of you are here and you might be a little fearful. Fearful about what is happening in our country. Fearful about what might happen if the election goes this way or that way. And just fearful about where we are as a nation and a people. Some of you are here and you're wondering, what does the future hold for America? Many of you are wondering, what is the role of Christians in the election? Some of you are wondering, how should I vote? You still don't know. Others might be wondering what our priorities should be. Others might be wondering what in the world does the Bible say about the interplay between Christians and the state or between Christianity and politics? Others of you are wondering how involved in government should we be and in what ways? Others of you are asking this question, which is a hard question to answer. Who would Jesus be? vote for. Now I want you to understand something, and this might be quite disappointing for some of you, but I will not be endorsing a particular political party, nor will I be endorsing a particular candidate. And I didn't bait and switch on you. If you think about the title, I never said, let me tell you who to vote for. I actually said, let me tell you how to vote. If I was going to endorse a candidate, I would be really, really glad that I was doing this message via video or I should probably have a bulletproof vest on. These are contentious times. But I will do my best over the course of the next two weeks to talk to you about how you should vote. But you need to know this, and some of you are new around here, you might not know this yet. New Hope Church never endorses a political candidate. I'm the one who often yanks political signs out of the church yard because people come and put them out for us. We've had people come into our parking lots on Sundays and put political pamphlets under your windshield wipers and we try to do away with that. As a church, listen to me, we will never be politically hijacked during a season politics. We don't pass out voter guides. That doesn't mean that we're afraid to talk about issues. It just means that we are going to fix our ultimate hope, our ultimate allegiance to Jesus Christ and Him alone. I learned a long time ago, and some of you need to really grapple with this, that equally sincere Christians attempting to follow God's word can have genuine disagreements over how their faith convictions best get expressed at the ballot box and in public policy. Now, a lot of people try to make you think that they know how Jesus would vote, but listen to me, church. It's just not that easy. There is good And there is bad on both sides, but people will try and convince you they have a corner on how God would vote. They'll say things like this. Well, Jesus was always right, so God must be right. And so right means that he must be a Republican, right? No. Others will say Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Oh, a donkey is a symbol of the Democrats. So Jesus must obviously be a Democrat. Again, no. Or the Bible says that Jesus ate with publicans. Ah, publicans sounds a lot like Republicans. So Christians should be on the Republican side of the aisle. I've heard Democrats say, hey, are you kidding me? Jesus was a health care dispensing machine. He was always giving out free healthcare for all wherever he went. So he's obviously a Democrat, right? The truth is it's far more complicated than all of that. And so what I want to just remind you of today is that as Christians, we are a part of a capital K kingdom. Yes, we live in this world. Yes, we engage in politics. Yes, we vote because it's really a privilege and an honor to vote. But at the end of the day, our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ and him alone. And before I talk about four really, really important words today, I just want to challenge you between now and November 3rd and after November 3rd. Listen to me, church. Our job is to always put love above politics be a follower of Jesus who loves him and people first you will recall that the greatest commandment is to love of the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself we can always disagree politically but we must always love unconditionally Now, next week, I'm gonna actually lay out some planks, if you will, some important planks on which we should build a political foundation. Again, I will not tell you who to vote for, but if we will stand on these planks and this foundation, we will develop a solid biblical Christian worldview and you might be given some information that'll help you decide how to vote. But today, here's what I wanna do. I wanna talk to you about four critical words that have been lost in our culture. Again, as I watch the events of late, I have a burden for our nation. My heart hurts for how I see people treating one another. Even on this trip to Philadelphia and DC, I've just been burdened as I've watched people hurt one another, yell at one another, be angry with one another. And so I wanna to talk to you today about four foundational words on which Christ's followers stand during this time of contentious politics. Number one, write it in, type it in, whatever the case may be. If you're online, type this into the chat section. First word of utmost importance, civility, civility. Listen to me, church, please, please. We treat people with respect in the public square. I said it during one of our previous messages, but it is so worth saying again. We can disagree without being disagreeable. We have to stop expecting people who might not be Christians to act like Christians. America is no longer a Christian nation. I hate to break it to you. We are living in a post-Christian era. They call it post-Christendom. And so we can't expect other people to behave or act or vote like we want them to. Civility is something that is lost in our culture today. Civility, just by a working definition, is decency and tolerance as a virtue. Notice I didn't say condoning this or condoning that. Sometimes we hear the word tolerance and we think we're putting our stamp of approval on it. No, civility is decency and tolerance as a virtue. Always be ready to give an answer, the Bible says, with gentleness. You guys remember that sermon series we did earlier this year, Anxious for Nothing? It was grounded in Philippians 4. You remember this verse, it's a really good verse to dust off and bring back out during this last week. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Here it is, the Lord is near. Christians are to be civil, gentle people. Last week I asked the question, when did it become okay to hate people? I mean, come on church, what is happening in our world where hatred and violence is just so rampant? You know, we were in Philadelphia videoing the last installment. You probably heard we were going to shoot at the Museum of the American Revolution. And to make a long story short, I was connected with uh, a man by the name of Father Bennett. And uh, had a great conversation with him. He said, yes, come on over. We went on over. Now, he was wise. He checked us out. He checked our website out. And Father Bennett came in multiple times throughout the day just to check on us. Um, at the end of the evening, he was there still with us. Um, he took me into a little like um, little chapel area, and uh, he talked about the way he had spent the afternoon watching some of my messages uh, from New Hope Church. He had subscribed to the YouTube channel, um, and he asked me to, to bless him which in my experience means just to pray over somebody, but it might not have been what he meant, but I prayed over him and we gave a love offering that really, really blessed his church. But I rode away from the church that night thanking God for connecting me with this man because even though we are incredibly different, he had the clerical collar on, you know, he's, he's very high church liturgical. <laughs> I, am, I am definitely not high church and liturgical. I was reminded of, of two things. One is there are many branches on this Christian tree church and we all worship the Lord Jesus Christ but we express our faith differently. But I was also reminded of the importance of gentleness and we met a saint who welcomed us and received us and helped us out with such beautiful gentleness. And so Father Bennett, if you are watching this today, thank you for being an example of what it looks like to live in these angry times. Here's the second foundation, dignity, dignity. We have to show that you can disagree with someone ideologically or philosophically or politically or even religiously and refuse to reduce or label them to an inhumane category. Now we see this happening all over the place these days. People are just turning people over and they reduce them to these inhumane categories and we in the church of Jesus Christ We refuse that. We treat every person with the utmost dignity. Type that word into the comments if you're online. Just just type in the word dignity. And check this out, church. This is a very theological point, even though it might not sound like it, but stick with me for a moment. In the Judeo-Christian tradition or in the biblical worldview tradition, we've always believed that this is captured best in two words, imago, Day. It's a theological term applied uniquely to humans, which denotes the symbolic relationship between God and humanity. Imago Day has its roots all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1:27, where God's word says that God created man in his own image. Check it out. This scriptural passage does not mean that God is in human form, but rather that humans are in the image of God in their moral, spiritual, and intellectual nature. Thus, humans mirror God's divinity in their ability to actualize the unique qualities with which they have been endowed and with which they make a difference in the world and with which they reign over all other creatures. Now, church, here's what this means, and this really is a game changer. It means that you and I will never see another human being. You've been seeing people walk around, I'm sure, as I'm teaching. We will never see another human being. We will never lock eyes with another person for whom God didn't die on a cross for, and moreover, with relation to Imago Dei, with whom God didn't create in His image. Now we confuse that with condoning people's behavior. That's not implying that you won't come across people who get on your last nerves, who do immoral things, but it does mean that deep in the soul of every single person that has ever graced planet Earth or ever will is the unique fingerprint, if you will, of God that he has indelibly marked in their soul and they are created in his image. And if that is so, And if you will keep internalizing that and reminding yourself of that, when people get on your last nerves, you will start to separate people, their value from their behavior, and you will join me in treating people with the utmost dignity. Here's the third word, very important, humility. Humility. Again, if you're online, type that word in and let's keep chatting it up. Meekness is a word that we have lost in this day and age, but here's the deal. Jesus still calls us to humility. And when you live as a humble Christ follower, that means that you hold on to your own views loosely. It means that you don't shout down your opponent. It means that you are kind to people. It means having class and gravitas and treating people with the utmost love and respect. It means that you're gentle and it means that you're good. It means that you continue to be humble and you follow Jesus. Here's a great passage of scripture, if you will. It's 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him. This is a word for some of you, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But the Bible says, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I'm telling you, this book is so relevant. First Peter ends like this, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever, amen. What a great passage of scripture. Jesus was a humble servant. And as Christians, we follow in his humility and we serve people in the same way. Listen, church. There are some things about the Republican Party of which I agree wholeheartedly. There are some things about the Republican Party for which I disagree. There are some things about the Democratic Party for which I agree wholeheartedly. And there are some things about the Democratic Party for which I disagree wholeheartedly. This call to humility reminds me, and I'm hoping it will remind you, that we are not always right. We don't have all the answers, and so we hold on to these things loosely, but we hold on tightly to the Lord Jesus Christ and the faith we treasure. Here's the fourth and final foundational word, really, really important in this day and age it's unity. It's unity and I won't spend much time on this because I hit it in a previous message, but in the house of God, come on church, we are called to unity. We must not let the things that divide the world divide us. Hey, I've said it before, but it's worth saying again. In essentials, we have unity, the gospel, the lordship of Jesus, the authority of the Bible. In non-essentials, come on, there's liberty. There's freedom, but in all things we pursue love and unity is so good. It is so essential. We should decide in this contentious season that we will not allow politics to divide us as a church family. I've been a student of churches for 32 years now. And I can honestly say that I have never seen a church as unified as New Hope. In all of our diversity, we are unified. We have to hold on to that church and realize the goodness that we have in it as a church family. I'm reminded of Psalm 133, where the word of the Lord says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Check it out, it's like precious oil Poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, for there the Lord bestows his blessings and even life forevermore. New hope, we must always hold to this beautiful unity that we have. It starts with me and like oil, hopefully it rolls down, it flows down to the staff of this church. And from the staff, it flows down to the membership and the world changers of this church. And from all of us together, it flows down to the world and they will look at us as the world gets more and more divided, more and more contentious, more and more antagonistic. They'll see this this people, this community, this if you will, living in the world but not of the world and exuding this unity that is contagious and beautiful at the same time. New Hope, I love that about you. I love that about what we have and let this season remind us that we should hold on to it tightly. Four foundations on which Christ followers stand during this time of contentious politics. One, civility. We embody civility and we treat one another with the utmost respect, dignity. We believe that everyone is made in the image of God and that impacts how we treat all people, humility. We stay low, we lift up Christ, but we follow him in his humility and for unity. We are a unified body of Christ, lifting high the name of Jesus, desiring to reach people for him, teach them his word, and release world changers. That is who we are. Put these four words in front of you. Hold on to them during the course of this next week and hold fast to these things that we might be faithful to our good God. Pray with me, church. God, thank you for this sacred ground on which I stand. God, my mind is blown when I think about all of the important, momentous gatherings that have happened right here. Father, with a little more than a week left, we know that you are a global God, but we believe you care deeply for America. And so we pray. We pray for wisdom on high, We pray for our nation. We pray for our governing authorities. And Father, we ask that your will be done on November 3rd. And God, we thank you that even if the candidate that we prefer does not get elected, our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So Father, thank you that on November 4th, 5th, 6th, and beyond, You, Lord Jesus, will always be king. And so we pledge our ultimate allegiance to you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we are not of this world and that you have called us to another place. But as long as we are here, oh God, we ask that you help us embody civility and dignity, humility, and unity. God, may we be united under the lordship of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his matchless and powerful name and all of God's people said together, amen.